This is Tom Fox. Welcome to the newest edition in the Compliance Podcast Network, my latest podcast, Compliance and Coronavirus. As the voice of compliance, I wanted to start a podcast which will help bring both clarity and sanity to the field of compliance, the compliance practitioner, and indeed the compliance profession during this worldwide health and healthcare crisis taking up a variety of topics as diverse as working from home to sporting events, to the role of the board of directors, to crisis management, to the role of supply chains. We will look at all of these in this podcast. If you have a topic you'd like covered on compliance and coronavirus, please let me know. I'd be happy to do a podcast on it. Today, I visit with Kevin Foster, a white collar professional who stepped over the ethical line so far that he ended up going to prison. In prison, Kevin vowed to share his message of values-based ethics and how you must have transparency and accountability in your ethical program for every organization and how this is even more important during COVID-19. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode, and you're in for a real treat today because I have Kevin Foster with me. Kevin is the founder of Business Ethics Advisors, but that does not begin to describe uh, Kevin's story what Kevin brings to the ethics, and I'm going to say compliance world and the greater business world. So, Kevin, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Well, thank you very much, Tom. It's great to be here, and um, you're such a guru in this area. It's um, it's fun to be on with you. Well, good. Well, uh, let's just hop into it. I was wondering if you might just start with your professional background and then what led to your ethical crisis. Okay. So anyway, I was originally an accountant by uh, by background. I spent a number of years with back then with Pete Mulrick and Mitchell, and then um, eventually got into other financial management. But along the way, I ended up getting involved with uh, real estate. And at one time, I was actually brokering commercial real estate, and one of my clients asked me to join them as uh, executive vice president of finance, which really had me. Um, doing due diligence for different uh, land development projects. And one of those projects was in North Carolina, in the mountains of North Carolina. And that project was financed by um, various New York lenders overall, but we had a number of investors, and those investors got bank loans from various local banks in North Carolina. Well, this was in um, 2007, for the most part, 2003 through 2007, the market turned against us and the project went upside down. And when, it, when it went upside down, those investors complained to the North Carolina Attorney General's office and to the North Carolina U.S. Attorney. And so the FBI got involved. And before we knew it, there was a criminal investigation because investors had alleged that the whole project was a Ponzi scheme. And they started investigating all the officers. And I had very little to do with the project itself as far as what was being alleged, as far as being um, a Ponzi scheme and with those individual loans. But I was, uh, was very intimately involved in the overall financing of the project and with all the other officers and the development and somewhat to the development of the project as well. So um, when the project failed and the FBI and the U S attorney's office was brought in, 
it was alleged that I was a co-conspirator with the company, and they brought in all the officers of the company. It wasn't just me. So very, very unfortunately, um, I ended up hiring a criminal, white-collar criminal attorney, and the uh, race to decide whether I was going to plead guilty or to um, go to trial was on, and eventually. I wanted to, well, I wanted to plead not guilty and go to trial, but my attorney wanted a million dollars in legal fees. I had already paid him $250,000 in legal fees. And then he thought I would lose and explained to me what conspiracy was, um, was all about, which I really didn't understand the whole ramifications of being a co-conspirator, but I learned a very hard and difficult lesson through that whole process. So did you eventually plead guilty and go to prison? So eventually I pled guilty to one count and um, I was sentenced to uh, five years in um, in prison. That was later reduced to four years, but I reported to prison um, in North Carolina, Butner, um, Butner Low at that time. And then two weeks after reporting to prison, I was thrown into solitary confinement in a place called the Shoe, which um, is, um, it's really, it's called segregated housing, um, housing departments, why they call it the Shoe. But I was in there for, for protective custody, so I had nobody around me, nobody there. It was a very difficult time in my life, very difficult time. As you can imagine, being a white-collar guy, being thrown into, it was a low-security prison, but you still had the 20-foot-high um, electric fences all about you. you had a, it was a whole different, um, you know, just a whole different culture for me, being thrown in with a bunch of really hardened, um, hardened um, criminals, and then being thrown into solitary confinement, I had nobody to talk to. There was nobody there. And it was when I was in solitary confinement that my um, uh, my um, case manager showed up um, to help me get out of uh, solitary confinement. But there was it was obvious that there was nothing that he could do for me. And I just like totally blew up at him. I yelled at him and he just looked at me in disgust and walked away. And I turned around and I said, Kevin, this is just not who you are. This is just not who you are. And I just, it was just like an epiphany just struck me at that point in time that some, some had to change, but it was in the despair of that moment in the solitude of that cell that I decided that no one else should have this experience. And I vowed to myself that when I left prison, I would do all I could so that other white collar professionals and anyone for that matter would not experience what I, um, what I experienced, but I would spend 28 days in, um, in that hole. And when I got out of there, I went to a minimum security prison um, which was, they call it a camp, minimum security prison or, or the camp, which was um, just next door. And that place had no fences whatsoever. And there was just a lot more, a lot more freedom. And there was a lot more white collar people there. 
to qualify for the camp, you had to have a sentence of less than 10 years and have no violence in your background. So those were the type of people that I was with. So I was either with politicians, uh, white-collar uh, professionals, white-collar professional folks, or drug dealers who didn't have any um, didn't have any violence in their background. So how did that experience lead you to found BAE? And what's really what what's the message you're trying to bring to the business professional now? Okay, so when I got out of um, prison, I did found found um, BEA Business Ethics Advisors in order to bring um, bring help and clarity to white collar professionals about you know about ethics and how small and ethical slips can have devastating consequences, including criminal liability. In my case, the clues were all around me. I worked for a lot of people who were not who were not ethical, and I had the opportunity to walk away multiple times from the the people who I was working with, and actually did six months before everything all blew up. I actually quit, but then I uh, was talked into um, staying on with the company. If I had just quit back then and walked away from it, I would never have had the problems that I had. I mean, it just never would have happened. So sometimes your best, the best thing you can do is just walk away from a job. And I was making a lot of money. I was paid very highly for everything that I was doing. But unfortunately, you know, my ego got the, um, got the best of me. And I decided that I was going to be able to stay on and be able to get them out of their situation because I had seen the right in the wall. I knew that the company was folding. I knew this project was, was failing. So I knew all this, but I was, I was talked into staying because I was going to be the guy who was going to fix it. Well, guess what? I didn't fix anything, but my ego, had told me that I could fix it. So one of the things you mentioned a little bit earlier, Kevin, was understanding, uh, not so much the consequences of your action, but understanding uh, co-conspirator law, understanding what your obligations are under the law. And you mentioned that it was quite an education for you. Uh, one of the messages I've, I've seen that you try to get out is you need to understand not, so, not a, only what your rights are, what your legal obligations are as a business professional. Does that message resonate to your audiences? It does, Absolutely. You know, when we talk about um, talk about ethics, I mean, I talk about really more like values based um, ethics as opposed to rules based ethics. Our company did not have a code of conduct, and I don't think that any was really necessary. It was really, um, it was really if I followed values based ethics, um, honest, honesty, transparency. And just fear dealing with everything, then most of the problems I had, um, I would have just used my own moral compass to say, "This, hey, this is all wrong. And, you know, the part of the problem is, is that as business people, we are dealing with um, with a number of different folks. There are obviously different stakeholders in any business that you have. In our case, we had bankers that we were dealing with and we had investors that we were dealing with and general public that we were dealing with. But the whole matter um, in my case was that 
you know, I was listening to what other people were telling me, not what my own moral compass was telling me to do. And if I had listened to my own moral compass, then I could have walked away from the situation a lot easier. So I've heard you say, or at least uh, uh, I think uh, I think it was on a uh, one, at least one of your YouTube clips. What you don't know can hurt you. Could you expound on that a little bit? Well, you know, when you're working in a business um, environment, a lot of times you don't even know what your obligations are to other people that are um, that are around you and don't even know what the law is. There are anywhere between five and 10,000 criminal laws out there, another 10,000 to 300,000 federal regulations that can get you put in prison. And most people do not even know what these laws are. And that's why I say what you don't know really can hurt you. And if you don't know that you're breaking that there's law out there and it is a rule that or law that you should be following, then you don't even know that you're breaking it. Uh, we are recording this in uh, mid, I guess, late November 2020, uh, some eight months into the coronavirus health crisis. And I wanted to ask you, Kevin, do you see the need for ethical leadership uh, as even greater now as we move into uh, going towards one year of uh, the COVID-19 and where we are now in both the different types of risk businesses face working from home and those associated issues? Absolutely. See, part of the problem with um, with COVID-19 is really um, put people back into um, back into their homes and away from their physical working environment. And then also people are just a lot more taken back by, you know, their um, their environment, their they have um, less security. They see their friends and their and their, themselves even with um, higher degrees of layoffs out there. There's just more time to um, reflect on things that have happened to them in the um, in the past. There's a personal fear factor from working from home and dealing with family and other personal issues, whether it's health or financial. And then all um, recently, all the political and cultural upheaval Um, and also drug and alcohol addiction rates have increased significantly since the pandemic has started. And so substance abuse obviously adverses job performance and a person's ability to make rational decisions and maintain a, a wholesome perspective on life. So. Working from home, people just no longer have that pulse on the safety of their jobs and their career path. So there is human nature to protect oneself. So job priorities may take a second second seat to personal needs. And again, just not having that personal contact and supervision with the remote work and people just don't know what they're uh, what they're dealing with in their um, in their career. And then lately what we've seen is that remote working has given people time to reflect on misconduct uh, misconduct, 
and start to actually consider um, reporting more to the company's whistleblower outlets or even to law enforcement authorities. So things with COVID and work from home, there's a lot more risk than what we've had in the, in the past, in my opinion. So people are just, you know, thinking about what happens. And also the pandemic has created almost a perfect storm for the opportunity for wrongdoing, whether it's for bribery or money laundering, accounting malfeasance, fraud, product counterfeiting or tampering. So everybody's antennas like way, way up in, um, in these days. Kevin, the, um, you mentioned a couple of things I wanted to follow up on. You talked about your own personal moral compass, your own ethical values, values-based, not rules-based, but you've also talked about uh, transparency. You've talked about accountability to others. How can you maintain that sort of transparency and accountability separate and apart from your ethical values in this working from home environment, if, if you're a boss or even middle manager or, or employee? Okay, what I would recommend is that um, that the boss gets the entire team speaking the same la- um, language about ethics and the organization's ethical culture. Everyone needs to be clear about what is expected of them, their leaders, and the organization. So, People um, pay a lot of lip service to, um, to ethical culture, but really what is the company's ethical culture? And I think that everyone needs to be speaking the same language as to what that means um, within that organization. So that may mean that you have to equip managers with, and again, I just believe in um, values-based ethical leadership training and tools to be able to communicate that um, ethical culture to everyone within the organization. And sometimes that requires the managers to keep their pulse on the employee scuttlebutt for signs of morale breakdown and throw a wet blanket on the rumor mill with clear messaging. And the companies are going to have to regularly measure you know, their ethical culture as it relates to the remote workers uh, workers, and those have um, returned to the workplace so they can seek input from all employees. I would start there. Kevin, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more information on either yourself, your story, or business ethics advisors. Where could they go? They can start by going to businessethicsadvisors.com, and that's advisors, A-D-V-I-S-O-R-S, so businessethicsadvisors.com for more information about our company. And you can always connect with me on LinkedIn and by searching J. Kevin Foster. My first name is John, but I go by Kevin, so professionally a lot of times it's just J. Kevin Foster. So you can start there. Well, Kevin, this has been a fascinating uh, exploration of your story and how you brought that story to the business professional. I hope that as we move through the coronavirus health crisis, I might be able to call upon you for uh, some additional uh, thoughts uh, in uh, mid-2021 or even 2022. Absolutely. Tom, you can call me anytime. It'd be fun. Thank you very much. 
Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance and Coronavirus. This is the only B2B podcast which brings clear and sane information for both the compliance professional and the business executive. If I could ask you uh, to do one thing, if you could tell one person about this podcast, I'm trying to get the word out uh, about this most unique podcast in the Compliance Podcast Network. So if you could tell one person about it, send them a copy, send them a link, do something uh, to help me publicize this podcast, I would greatly appreciate it. Compliance and Coronavirus is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network, and it appears Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of each week. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you'll join me again for another episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.